Ecclesiastes chapter 10, uh, just to summarize where we've been leading up to this point, our series is called Under the Sun, because the book of Ecclesiastes is written by Solomon to really understand life as you live it apart from God. If it's just the way that you navigate your life in the way that you work and live under the sun without understanding the will of God— Simon, or Solomon points out many ways that it seems kind of meaningless. And so he looks for ways to find meaning on earth under the sun. And the last couple of weeks we got to the answer, which is wisdom from above. Remember in our study in James, James calls wisdom, wisdom from above. So as we live under the sun, the way that we make sense of the world we live in is by asking for God to give us wisdom from above so that we would know how he designed our life to live. So the last couple weeks have been a highlight in the life of wisdom. It gives you joy and a countenance that makes your face shine. Today, Ecclesiastes chapter 10 is going to give us the contrast in a message that I'm calling living in a world of fools. And so as you hear that message, you may think, dang, I wish my friend could have come to church with me today because he really needs to hear the message about foolishness. Um, but what, what's going to happen today is we're going to see an entire passage of Scripture in Ecclesiastes chapter 10 that will show the folly of living a life apart from wisdom under the sun. And to do that, like much of the wisdom writing, when you find a, a, a passage of scripture or a chapter broken down in the wisdom writing, oftentimes it gives you like a fire hose of th things to consider. The main theme today will be the folly of foolishness or what the world looks like when you don't live by wisdom. But we won't zone in or hone in on every single verse. So I want to give you just kind of a rough outline of how this chapter breaks down in the Bible. So the introduction to Ecclesiastes chapter 10 is really the introduction to the fool, to say hello to the person that is living a foolish life and what that may look like. And then we're going to get a reminder that foolishness is not something that you can always just get a read on by looking at someone. You actually have to find a different measurement for your own view of your own life in the folliness or foolishness that you live in and for the people that you walk with. So the breakdown is in verses 8 through 10, the fool's work. You'll see something about the work of our hands under the sun that will show us some foolishness. The fool's words, verses 11 through 15, and then the fool's woes or the result of foolish living. And before we actually open the word and get to the introduction to the fool, a good reminder from a person who lived in some wisdom in his day, Benjamin Franklin says this, the doorstep to the temple of wisdom is a knowledge of our own ignorance. So to really hear the message this morning, it's not just for the friend that isn't here. It's not just you're going to send this to some coworker that really needs to learn about foolishness. But the concept, which we find in the word, the beginning of your pursuit of wisdom is your own humility. It's a fear of God in a way that says, I now desire wisdom because me being the Lord or God of my own life will never work the same as understanding the design of my life created by God. So to hear this message, we enter into the doorstep of wisdom to say, we actually have to understand our need for it. And so now we listen to the introduction that Solomon will give us as a picture of a foolish person. He says in verse 1, dead flies putrefy the perfumer's ointment and cause it to give off a foul odor. So this is a picture, one of those proverbial pictures that the, the writer is going to give us to help us understand a big concept in a small picture. And what is the picture? Ancient days, 
aroma, the scent of the household was oftentimes needed to be masked by some way to make a perfume, and something I've never done, I, I doubt most of you have, but to create the aroma, you needed to get the ointment or the oils ready in a, in a way that would allow it to rise, and Solomon is saying, it can all be ruined by one little fly. Imagine a fly comes in and it lands on the perfume and now the whole scent is ruined and the perfume has to be thrown away. In the same way, folly can ruin the life of a fool. Well, here's a better maybe picture for a modern day. Imagine you're wearing a beautiful white shirt and you are about to stand up to get ready to share a message from God's word. And right when you do, your wife is like, you can't go up there with that horrible stain. And it's right here, because that is actually what exactly what happened to me this morning as I was walking into church. My wife's like, you are so foolish. You can't stand in front of everyone with a shirt that's stained. It took one small stain for my wife to say, I'm running home and getting you a new shirt. And I was like, don't do it. It's perfect for the teaching this morning. So I'm actually going to keep it. But the concept is you work so hard to be wise. You listen to the word, you try to apply it to your life, you live a life to your best ability according to wisdom, and one foolish act, one bit of folly, one mistake, or one temptation given into sin can ruin the reputation of an entire person. And we have all sorts of biblical examples of how this may work, but maybe none greater than King David, who we think of as the shepherd boy holding those stones in a sling to slay a, a, a giant named Goliath. And yet the story unfolds to a tragic ending when his reputation and the reputation of all the people who loved him was completely turned into folly with one poor decision to commit adultery. And you think of your favorite leader, you think of the ways that you know people that could have had ended with a great reputation, but instead they had one foolish act that took them down. So this is an introduction to the danger of foolishness, that you can do everything in your power to be wise, but one small decision can make you a fool. He says, in the same way, a wise man's heart is at the right hand, but a fool's heart is at his left. There is a dichotomy to our lives. In Galatians, it says the spirit and the flesh are at war with one another. And in Hebrew writing, you have the right and the left. The right is the seat of honor. It's the, it's, the, it's the example that we get as Philippians says that Jesus ascended on high and now sits at the right hand of the Father, the place of honor. And the left was the path of destruction. So there's that picture when Jesus is teaching the parable of the sheep and the goats. And it's a picture of him taking the, the fruit of, the, of all the people of God and separating by their work. Some would be separated to the right with the sheep and they enter in, and some are separated to the left, the goats that are cast off. The left has the reputation no offense to those who are left-handed, I'm among you, I'm also left-handed, but it's the reputation of folly, of foolishness. And in the same way, the heart is divided, right and left. There is a desire that all of us have to follow the Lord into wisdom, which will bring honor and satisfaction and peace. And there is a propensity towards the left, which will bring foolishness that turns into folly. And then he says, in, in verse 3, even when a fool walks along the way, he lacks wisdom and shows everyone that he is a fool. 
So eventually your foolishness will find you out. You can walk the way. You can look the part. You can come in this morning and sit under the teaching of the Word of God and raise your hands in a call to worship, and you can leave this place. And if you do not have a substantive foundation in wisdom, it's only a matter of time before you're walking in a way that you don't belong to, and foolishness will take you off the path. And the example of King David is brought back up because what happens, there was only so long that he could live under the guilt of his foolish decision before he was exposed and the folly followed his life. And here's the tricky thing. When we look at the picture of wisdom this morning, it is the word is going to give us some markers for our own lives on how to identify that. And it is not by appearance, meaning I cannot preach out to this sanctuary this morning and just by looking at you or the car that you drive or the house that you live in, know who is wise among us, which is sometimes not the way we think of categorizing wisdom and foolishness or the wise people and the foolish people. We wish it was like that neighborhood is for fools and this neighborhood is for the wise, but that's not how it looks. In fact, he goes on to say that you'll be surprised as to where people live in their folly. In verse 5, he says, there's an evil I've seen under the sun. A tragedy. Remember when he says evil under the sun, that earthly existence that turns into a tragedy is this. There's an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in great dignity, while the rich sit in a lowly place. I've seen servants on horses, while princes walk on the ground like servants. So, in other words, this is foolishness that will come in all packages. It is not enough to see someone as a ruler, a church leader, a governor, mayor, president, a person in high authority, and think, well, if they've gotten to that position, surely they must be wise enough to not make a grievous error. But we all know, or I hope you know by now, that leaders will fail you. That rulers will do things that are not fitting for a ruler, and they themselves will be given over to folly. And we have example after example of foolishness coming from the high office. And of course, it will also come from the lowly. He says there's times where the rich sit in the lowly and the servant rides on horse, and you cannot tell who's who by looking at them. And so this morning, we read the rest of the chapter, and we break down these parts in the work and the words and the woes so that we would understand what a life given over to foolishness may look at, look like. And, and, and so that's what we're going to do as we break this down. But we also want to do this. As we're going through this, this is not just an indictment on foolishness. There's also going to, going to be a call to prevent this in our lives, in our families, in our church, in the way that we live, Solomon is going to smuggle in some wisdom, even in this chapter, dedicated to the, the ways of the fool. So, fool's work, verses 8 through 10. He says, And he who digs a pit will fall into it. Whoever breaks through a wall will be bitten by a serpent. He who quarries stones may be hurt by them. Meaning, there's all sorts of things that you can do to work hard, which is one of the ways of wisdom that you can do under the sun, as we talked about last week. Work hard, enjoy the work of your labor uh, with all your might unto God. But when you're a fool, 
and you set out to work hard, make money, and do something with your life, there's something that will happen to where your work will fall on your own head. And this is an example of it. It's like you break through a wall, and on the other side of the wall, there is a snake ready to bite you. Maybe an easier picture to see is you dig a pit, and you fall right into it. Uh, I was on my way to the Congo. As many of you know, I just got back from the Congo, a mission trip uh, with a number of people from the church. And uh, on the way, I was watching a documentary about the Congo, getting the lay of the land. And one of the interesting facts about the country we were going to is that it is home to one of the most dangerous roadways in all the world. So they've got these long, windy roads. It's one of the reasons that Mission Aviation exists to fly people to remote places for medicine and the gospel because the road system just won't get you there. But one of the marks of this road is that there was uh, a group of people who, in their desire to make money, loaded so many stones. They pulled the stones from the quarry. They loaded up the truck with so much weight that they eventually went down one of these muddy, mindy mindy roads to the point where they literally sunk all the way into the mud and they couldn't get it out. And so now to this day, in one of these roads in Africa, there is a monument to foolishness for someone who worked so hard that they couldn't get out because now the road has to go around a truck that has been stuck for 10 years in this road that cannot get out. They worked so hard to get all of this weight and they wanted to put just a little bit more in their foolish greed and now the road will be forever memorialized by their folly. And it's easy to look out and say, wow, those crazy people on that windy road. But there's all sorts of ways that I have to look in as well this morning. The gateway to the temple of wisdom is to admit your own ignorance. So this morning I had to share a story that as my wife listened to at first service, it it may make you laugh, but she had a stern face the entire time. Digging a pit lest I fall into it. When we were first married, uh, we, we get our, our first little house, and my wife is, you know, thrift storing all the little trinkets, and she, we, we, we wanted to save up enough for a couch, and so we had $500 in our bank account, and my wife found a couch that cost $500, and so we went all in. We're going to get a couch somewhere to sit. We went all the way to Emmett to pick it up from this secondhand store, and we're loading it up to a truck, and, and I've got it nice and situated. And, of course, the, the person we're buying it from says, you want this rope to tie it down? And, of course, I was like, oh, no, no, no. I've got this. I've packed this perfectly. To which my wife was like, you should use the rope. And I was like, dear, you're undermining me in front of this kind stranger. Please. And so we're driving back Highway 16. Me and my wife are smiling, just picturing the house, the house fulfilled with this couch. And I look in the rearview mirror, and it's doing somersaults down the freeway. And I slowly pulled over, and I told my wife what had happened. And she said, don't talk to me until we get home. And so it was the most silent, sad moment of, you want to talk a pit that you fall into. The wrath of a wife who has lost her only couch. And eventually we went back and the the story ends well. I picked it up and and duct taped it. It looked fine. (laughs) And since then we've gotten new couches. And and it's an example of the the folly. You work so hard, you save a little bit of money. And because you're not willing to just slow down slightly, you lose the whole thing. You fall into your own pit. He'll go on to say, and he who splits wood may be endangered by it. So here's a visual for you. 
the example of folly. It's like you go out, you want to provide for your household and your family. You bring the chainsaw to, to save a little extra time, and you, you can't get it started, so you put it between your legs, and you hope that it starts. Now, I don't know how this story ended. If you do, keep it to yourself. Uh, but the idea is you can do so much to work so hard, and it all falls on your own head. If the axe is dull and one does not sharpen the edge, then he must use more strength, but wisdom brings success. There's tools that God gives us. There are things that we can do to work hard and be diligent and stay ahead of the curve in all of the things we have to do under the sun to work hard under God's glory, and yet in foolishness, we let things slip, and it becomes more hard work in the end. Part two, the fool's words. A serpent may, be, may bite when it is not charmed. The babbler is no different. The man who has many words. He's like a, a snake that's uncharmed. At any moment, it could come back to bite you. And one of the themes of Ecclesiastes, a study in wisdom, the themes of James, a study in wisdom, and the themes of Proverbs is that you will be known by your words. What you really believe about life and the way that you, you use your words in good conduct will be used to show you and everyone around you who you really are. And so he says, the words of a wise man's mouth are gracious, but the lips of a fool shall swallow him up. In the same way, your work can come back to fall on your own head. Same with the words that are not thought through, honoring to God, precious with grace and, and, and like fine silver to the, to the touch. So you can use your own words for your own hurt. It says they swallow you up. The words of, the, the, of his mouth begin in foolishness, and the end of his talk is raving madness. A fool also multiplies words, speaking way too much, saying things that go well beyond what you need to communicate. No man knows what is to be. Who can tell him what will be after him? And the concept is that we live in a time, Solomon lived in a time, and all ancient writers lived in a time where they saw the destructive power of the tongue. James says that our words need to be bright, like bridles in the horse's mouth. They can direct the whole soul of a person based off your words. Here's another example, a word picture for you of words that come back to swallow you. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious, but the lips of a fool shall swallow him up. It says, get a brain, Morans. <laughs> I think he means morons, but as he holds the sign to condemn others, they look at the sign and they're like, I think you might be speaking to yourself. So one of the easiest proverbs you can hear this morning, one of my favorite ones to, to, for all of you to apply. It says in Proverbs chapter 17, even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace. When he shuts his lips, he's considered perspective. So he's... It, Again, I don't know where you stand this morning with your commitment to the wisdom of God's word and following after him. Some of us are walking in foolishness. Some of us are building our house on wisdom. But something we can all hear this morning, free proverb for all of us. If you don't say anything, no one can tell the difference. You may be able to fool some people if you just don't open your mouth. He says, listen, if you just don't say anything, you might come across as very contemplative. You might be seen as a wise person who's thinking through everything, and no one will know what you're actually thinking. So if nothing else this morning, hear this, your words usually can and will be used against you. And one of the themes of the Proverbs is to be slow to speak and quick to listen 
to hold our tongue is one of the ways that we can avoid the foolish words that come back on our own heads. And Solomon will continue to say similar things at the end of the chapter in verse 20. He says, don't curse the king even in your thought. Do not curse the rich even in your bedroom. For a bird of the air may carry your voice and a bird in flight may tell the matter. So I can't help but think of the bird of our time that will come back with everything that you have said. Something 10 years ago, five years ago, your passionate, emotional opinions that you could not help but to tell the whole world about, and now it exists for everyone to judge you by. And Solomon was writing to this generation to say, be careful with the words that you share. Uh, it's almost like we need a digital Miranda right. Everything you say Everything you tweet and post and text can and will be used against you. There is an enemy of this day. The world, the flesh, and the devil would be happy to trap you by your own words so that as you were walking in wisdom, your words become the thing that makes you fall into folly. So we're going to have a, a lot of quotes. I found that there's a lot of people that have something to say about foolishness. So here's another quote from Abraham Lincoln. Better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak and to remove all doubt. It's like, I don't know if you're foolish or not, but as soon as you open your mouth, the case is closed. You're definitely a Moran. <laughs> <laughs> And so now we look at another indicator. Okay, so you have the way that your work can be used as a foolish folly to expose the way that you're actually walking. The way that you speak will expose the way that you're actually living your life. And then the world that you live in. It says in verse 16, Woe to you, literally warning you about the way that you build your life on foolishness. O land, when your king is a child, when your, princess, when your prince's feast in the morning. Blessed are you, O land, when the king is the son of nobles and your prince's feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. So one of the things, the elements of the world that foolishness creates is an, a disorder of the design of God. He says, woe to you when you're being led unwell and you'll know it by the way that you party and you feast and you use drug, uh, drinking and revelry, not for merriment and celebration unto God, not to give gratitude, not to feast according to the time of God's provision and the planting and the harvest, but just according to your own desires, just according to your own plan for your own life. He says, you do that and here's the world that you've created for yourself. He says, because of laziness, the building decays, and through idleness of hands, the house leaks. So this is what Solomon is getting at. If you add up the way that your work is not done to the glory of God with diligence, but with folly, you add up your words coming back to expose you as someone who is more like a babbler biting the serpent than you are a gracious person, and you will find yourself living in the results in a real world way. He says the building's going to decay because you're lazy. You're going to live with a leaky roof in his time. That's a way to say you are not living in a good household of wisdom. And you can see it by the way you're living. So here's the final quote, extra biblical quote that I'll share with you. It's by our boy John Wayne. He says, life is tough, but it's tougher when you're stupid. So you got all of the things you're trying to figure out in life, and you layer on top of that a lack of the knowledge of the plans of God.
Because one thing that we have to draw from Ecclesiastes, which is why it's sometimes a difficult study, a hard read, a book that some people avoid, is that it does not solve the difficulty of life. And any preacher or uh, any worldview or ideology that says you can absolutely solve the challenges of the under the sun life is wrong. The Bible says that you have 70 to 80 years, if you're lucky and of good strength, and they'll mostly be filled with sorrow and hard work. So that is what we get on this side of eternity. We will do our very best to bring God's design for earth to, uh, the, to the kingdom expansion as best we can, but it will always be hard. Marriage will always be difficult. It will always be hard to raise children, and your job will go through seasons where it's very blessed, and there's going to be seasons where it's very challenging. But the best possible thing you can do is to live out the wisdom of God. The extra challenge, the way, the, the, the way that life gets just unbearable is when foolishness makes a hard life impossible. And for the reminder of the dichotomy between the life that you live that will be challenging in wisdom and in foolishness, remember what Jesus says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Last summer, we were studying all the ways of the Sermon on the Mount. It's the kingdom's constitution, all of the wise sayings of Jesus, the wisdom of the kingdom of how to be blessed, the beatitudes, the wisdom of the kingdom, how to approach God and not get sucked into the surface approach of religion. And he says at the very end of all of it, blessed are you if you hear these wise sayings of mine and do them, I will liken you to a builder. You're building your house on the rock, but Everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat the house, and it fell, and great was the fall. Both households are going to go through the storm. Your life will go through the ups and the downs and the storms of life. Some of you are in one. If you're not, hold your breath. It's waiting for you. Wisdom does not solve the problem of the fallen nature of the world and the fallen nature of the people around you, but it gives you a foundation to stand on, and foolishness or folly will be exposed because the foundation will fall apart. The house will leak. That the house or the building will decay. And so Solomon is saying, don't be a fool. Because if you're a fool under the sun, there is no hope for you. Now, as I already said, the goal of this sermon is not to just condemn everyone in the foolish world that we live in and say good luck. Solomon has actually written into the text that we read this morning some wisdom for us to have hope in. For, for some wisdom for us to to take from what we've already read and build on so that we can obey the words of Jesus when he says, do this and you'll do well and you'll survive the storm. So we're going to look at three things that we already saw in the text this morning that we will be challenged to hear the word and do so that we're building on the foundation of wisdom and we would not be the foolish people who get wiped away by the, the storms of the world. So the first one is, to watch for flies, chapter 10, verse 1. Uh, he says, dead flies putrefy the perfume's ointment. Now, clearly a real-life thing that Solomon is describing. Fly, a fly lands in the perfume, the perfume is gone for. 
It lands in the soup, throw the soup away. But it's also a spiritual lesson. Because your life, for those of you who believe in the way of Jesus and you desire to build your life on the rock, you are supposed to be set aside as a city on a hill. You're supposed to be a light in the darkness. In, in other uh, moments of encouragement from the word, you are supposed to be a sweet-smelling aroma to the joy of God and to the hope of people around you. And what he's saying is, for your life, as you walk in wisdom and you are someone that God can set aside for his holiness and his sweet-smelling aroma for this world, do not let a fly into your life that would destroy you. And that is the picture of sin. The picture of sin is not something that uh, approaches you out of nowhere. What we find more often than not is that sin is something that starts very small and then grows into something very destructive. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. That's really destructive. But I say to you now, don't even think about it. Don't even have the thought in your mind because it starts with a thought. Out of the abundance of the heart, so a man is. And we find this pattern in one of the other wisdom writings, the book of Psalms. The very first verse in the very first chapter of the very first psalm said, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is the law of the Lord. Blessed is the one who doesn't walk, who doesn't stand, who doesn't sit with the ungodly. And do you see the progression that we can so easily find as a pattern in our own life. First, you're walking in the way of sinners. Then you're actually standing and hanging out with the way of sinners. And then you've sat right down in the way of sinners to the point of scorning God. It started with one action that led to another. And as we review the case of King David and the fall with Queen Bathsheba, what happens? It is the exact moment of his demise that we see that it was a pattern that was building in his life. It was a story that starts by saying in the days where the king's army was out, they were out fighting the battle. And the king who had been set aside to lead the people of God into battle was now home enjoying his rest. And a woman who was married to a man who had been sent into the battle was now bathing on a roof. And it says, under the moonlight. So you have a picture of David leaving his duty as, as the, the servant leader king, staying home to relax and be idle. And then in the middle of the night, he's looking out and he sees with his eyes something beautiful. And from a pattern of sin, it grows into adultery. So what are the flies of your life? This is a question of how we can see sin. Sin smart starts as a very small seed of lust. And every single one of you have something in your life that God wants to completely destroy before it destroys you. I think of my wife again in this moment because for those of you who are new to Idaho, we have a fly season, so just get used to it. Sorry, go buy a fly swatter. Um, my wife will never accept that this is just a reality of living in Idaho. I think she wants to eliminate every last fly on the face of the planet. And just this week, as I'm studying the picture of a fly, I come home and she has taken out her air salt rifle that she bought off uh, the internet and she's shooting flies with pellets of salt. She's like, shut the door and stand back. I'm about to kill one. 
And I was, I was like, hey, she's, she's serious about killing flies. And I thought, that's the picture. That is actually the picture of how we are supposed to approach our gatherings, our time of conf- communion and confession before the Lord. It is not that we run to the Lord to confess adultery when it happens. It's not that we run to the Lord to confess murder and robbery and the hatred of people when it actually happens. Of course, if you're in that stage, confess. But what we're supposed to do is before we destroy our lives, we come on a weekly basis to gather around the cross of Christ where we know we can receive forgiveness of sins. And he can cleanse our thoughts and our hearts and our minds once again to walk here in the confidence that we have killed the flies that could kill our ointment. So we watch for flies. Number two, examine your heart. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 2. A wise man's heart is at his right hand, but a fool's heart is at his left. The question of wisdom, the question of foolishness, is not something that can be answered on the surface. This is not simply something that you can see in the mirror always. The ways that we look for these marks, as Solomon gives us the picture of someone working and the way he speaks and the life that he lives, these are all things that are flowing, as the word says, from the abundance of the heart. The commitment that you have to live unto God and the design that he has that he calls wisdom is something that you have to commit with your heart. The, the folly that will follow or the wisdom that you will be able to walk in to make your countenance joy and your heart light will be an overflow of what you've committed in your heart unto God. And we know that one of the ways that people reject wisdom or they reject God is by, in their heart, saying that they will not accept God as a reality of their life. Look what it says in Psalm chapter 14. The fool, the foolish person, the one who is walking towards the folly of the world, has said in his heart there is no God. They are corrupt They have done an abominable works, and there is none who does good. And where does it start? It starts here. It starts by saying, I will not receive the reality of the Lord of my heart, the one who encompasses my passion and my my emotion and the desires of my life. I will not accept that there is a God that I have to submit those things to. I will run my own life, and that is the beginning of foolishness. And that is the foolishness as we see it exploding in the day that we live, in the culture that we live in. It is starting with a culture who has said, we're not even going to start with God. We have already rejected God, and now we will do what is right in our own eyes, and we will commit uh, whatever acts that we want according to what we, we desire, and we will make the laws according to what we feel is right. And this is foolishness on display because of a rejection of God in the heart. Professing to be wise, they have become fools. They worship the creature, not the creator. It's a matter of worship. And so for us who believe, we come to cleanse our hearts of all of the little lusts and false idols apart from God. And for those of you who hear this message, and you hear that there is a life that you live under the sun, and you will not be able to avoid the folly of the fallen world, the message is this for you. There will never be a way for you to have satisfaction in a life well lived unless you commit your life to God. There is a parable that Jesus tells. And for you, as people who are investigating the faith this morning, your, your homework is 
Luke chapter 12, to read the parable of the rich fool. And I'll give you just a quick summary because this is the exchange that you're making with your life without even realizing it. In the parable of the rich fool, Jesus is giving an account for someone who lives his whole life without honoring God. A man who does so well with the success of his bumper crop that he has more harvest that he knows what to do with. So what's his plan? Rather than to be charitable and to give it away and to think about honoring God, he tears down his small barns and he, bigs, he builds bigger ones. And he puts enough harvest in his own little retirement fund that he can sit back and be merry and have his ease. And as soon as he set up his life, he made all the wealth he could make, he has all the comfort he can get, and he's getting ready to enjoy it until the the end of his days and it says you fool tonight your soul is required of you he has no time left to enjoy all of the labor under the sun that he worked for to win the thing that he thought his life was worth living for jesus says what is it worth for a man to exchange the whole world and lose his soul to gain the whole world and to lose his soul you can live your life with everything but God, and in the end, you will die a fool. The wisdom that is being offered today starts with a commitment in your heart to give your life to God. And for those of us who have already done that, this is just a time for us to say, okay, I want to continue to build on my commitment to give my life to God. In Romans chapter 10, it says this, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your hearts that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The beginning of wisdom is to confess the reality of God. And when you confess that Jesus is, in fact, the visible image of the invisible invisible God who has come to conquer the folly of sin, put it in the grave, and raise again, you get to experience salvation. Salvation from what? Salvation from separation from God. And that separation starts now in your folly. So you're saved into a life of wisdom that starts with the confession in your heart and finally as we prepare for communion for those of you who believe as we just took a a a moment to speak to the reality of the 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 grave reality that you cannot have wisdom apart from a confession in your heart to god i now speak to the believers because look what it says in ecclesiastes chapter 10 verse 4 the spirit of the ruler rises against you Do not leave your post, for conciliation pacifies great offenses. Uh, Other translations say, do not leave your post, for your calmness can lay great offense to rest. So here's the third application of wisdom to reject folly this morning. Stand your ground for God. Stand your ground for the wisdom and the course of life that he has placed you on as the world surrounds you. As the rulers of this age rise up and they look at your way of life that will look so different, according to God's way, will look so different to the the world as to what is actually wise, stand your ground. Solomon says, if you stay calm, you can put all of the rulers rising against you to rest. And I'll share one passage of scripture with you as we think about standing firm in the age of the, the folly of the world. We desire to be holy and set apart as wise people. Here's what Paul says in the book of Ephesians. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. 
Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, against the rising up of the rulers of this age. He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. There is something more to this world than the rulers that we see holding office or the rulers that we see rising to the top of the, the, the wealth of our, of our world. There is something behind the scenes rising up against us. And Paul says, stand firm and be strong in God. And so we think about living out this call to not be foolish people. And Solomon says, sharpen your axe. Sharpen your axe so you won't have to work so hard. Get ready for the work that God has called you to and stop working so hard when God has given you tools to make your life easier. And so what is the axe? Well, he says, put on the full armor of God. He says, you have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And yet so many of us, we live in a generation where the Word of God has become dull. He says, put on the helmet of salvation, the power of the gospel. You've been saved. Your names are written in the book of life. Be renewed and reassured in your, uh, in your salvation unto heaven. He says that you have the shield of faith, that you walk not by sight, not by what the world can see, not by the plans of man, not by the climate of the year that we live in, but by a vision of heaven that goes so far beyond the sun. This is the shield of faith. And he says, put this on and stand firm. And don't be moved by the surrounding armies of the, of the flesh and the devil and the world that we live in. And this is the call for us to follow Jesus. This is the way that Jesus has come into our world, not necessarily to put wisdom and the folly of the world on its head, but to embrace the way that we have to live now. It says, the last verse as we think about the blood and the body of Christ given for us. It says in Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 7, I've seen servants on horses while princes walk on the ground like servants. This seems confusing. It's upside down. Why are the servants the ones in the high places? Why are the ones that don't deserve to be on top on top? And you may ask yourself, why the rulers of our age are calling all the shots right now? And then he says, I've seen someone of high nobility, royalty, walking and serving people. It doesn't make sense to his mind. And what does Jesus do? He redeems this very reality of the world we live in. He comes to us in a manger. And he says, I didn't come to be served as an earthly king, but I came to serve you and to give my life a ransom for, for many. And that is the, what the non-believers would say is the foolishness of God on display. He sent his son to die. That's your God. He sent his son to hang on the cross and pay the penalty for your sin. And that's your grace. And we turn it all on its head. And he says, and now you pick up your cross and walk in my wisdom. You become the servants. That you become the nobility. You become the royal priesthood, the kings and the queens in the kingdom of God that would serve others to glorify the power of the design of God. And we hold that again as we take communion. If you are a believer, you take communion to cleanse yourself of the flies of your heart, to be renewed in the power of the call to pick up your cross and to serve the wisdom of God. If you're not a believer, Join us. We love that you're here. We would love for you to experience the free gift of God's grace that will allow any fool into the kingdom of God to become the glory of God on display.